So, um, when's the last time you were in, in London, John? Uh, gee, that's the most difficult question. <laughs> when was the last time I was here? Was it 2007? Really? Was it been that long? Wow. London Jazz Festival? When was that? Oh. That was then, was it? Was that the last show you would have done? Yeah. I, I think so. When you're in London, do you, um, do you meet up with people that you've, you know, have you got a sort of, do you stay in hotels or do you stay around at friends' houses? Uh, Brian usually opens his flat to me, um, Brian, but I, I'm, we're, we have been out of touch. We have, we have periods of eclipse and we're in one for the last year or so. And uh, so I'm in a hotel now. <laughs> and is that probably permanent? <laughs> I don't think so. No, I don't think so. No, uh, uh, there are lingering, lingering sort of things. You know, I'm right now. I'm I'm getting old enough so that I'm thinking about um, situations like the um, uh, my life in the bush of ghosts and uh, where we were in New York at that time. And I I, I made this timeline I said I had already already I'd always kept this agenda it was like uh, when I was in New York and and um, and you know about things that happened <laughs> girlfriends events and and stuff that was going on and and at that time he and David Byrne and I were hanging out quite a bit and I was introducing him to like Walter de Maria the earth artist and uh, and and um, so there was quite a bit of exchange going on at that time and and what I was doing was this attempt to merge um, other kinds of music non-western music and all that and trying to create something which was uh, where it wasn't just a layer cake where you had you know where the the texture you couldn't ex ex exactly extract here's the African layer here's the you know the electronic here's the jazz layer you know that kind of thing and 
So and and I had, I had already had two records at the uh, the time uh, I met them. Uh, th- that one, Earthquake Island, that we were playing when we came in, and uh, and um, uh, Vernal Equinox, uh, and so and I was older. Yeah, it was like a that was kind of I, I I hadn't actually comprehended all of these things until I went back and started looking through my my uh, diary. And I was 43. Brian was 34. David was 27, something like that. So, so, um, and they were very, very on top of the. I mean, that was they were just young enough to be um, uh, swept up by the, you know, the Talking Heads phenomenon, and you know, they were like number one. Playing Radio City Music Hall and and uh, all that kind of thing, and I was uh, basically what you would describe as a downtown artist, right? And uh, on unemployment, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> and and so um, and so that that collision of things um, was, and of course, you know, I, I welcomed the idea of like not being dependent on grants the rest of my life, um, and and thinking well. Um, I, I'd, I'd never been very ivory tower about things, right? You know, I didn't come from a completely classical background, nor did I wish to be Philip Glass, you know. And uh, so I, I was perfectly happy to have that association. But they got a lot from me, and that showed up in my life of the Bush of Ghosts, and I didn't really receive any credit for that as a kind of. I think it was a strategic move on the part of the companies. Supposed to be doing that. They asked me to do it. I had in my in my agenda. I actually discovered that about just ten days after finishing Possible Musics with Brian in the studio. Uh, you know, David would come by the studio and ask if he there's anything he could do and and all that. And and we had you know we had talked and and um, and they had said, hey, we have this idea to do a record together, right? The three the three of us. In fact, David had said. He had come back um, after a show in in New Jersey. Uh, he looked out over the audience and said, "Like, what am I? You know, what am I doing here?" Uh, and um, and he was dissatisfied with what was going on. So, in fact, they um, they absorbed where I was and the things I, I was doing, and asked me to to, to join with them. Thank you. 
the premise was, hey, well, let's go out to California and get a house in the desert or something like that and get some primitive recording equipment and make an, a sort of interesting quasi-ethnic record, sort of like the Eskimos. Do you remember the Eskimos? They had a record called, no, no, the uh, the Residents, right? Had a record called... Uh, had a record called Eskimo, which was a, a, a kind of fake tribal situation, a fake tribal record. Uh, so, Where was Brian Eno at this point, by the way? Cause oh, David we were Byrne, there. Where was he at in his uh, career? What had he just been working uh, on? Well, he was, he was simultaneously producing um, Remain in Light, which I have a track on, right? Uh, an overdub on. And uh, that was why he had, I guess that's why he came to New York, um, was, to, was to do that. And um, post Roxy music, yeah, yeah, for sure. After finishing uh, Possible Music, they had already started. They had already moved on to the uh, the next project. They went out to L.A. and started to work on uh, on what what became My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. So I got a cassette in the mail. We were talking about days in which it was not email and it was not files coming to you, you know. And I, and I it sounded like <clears throat> there was some sort of. Um, it was some, I think, um kalsum with some sort of quasi-African thing that a beat from the Talking Heads, which I thought was kind of silly. And um, and I and I said, well, look, this is not really what I'm interested. This is not me, right? This is not what I'm really interested in. It's and uh, so I think they they were really in a, in a sense there was a big sigh of relief amongst the um, their if you can consider their whole. Uh, uh, business orbit, right? The Seymour Stein of uh, of uh, what was the record label? Uh, Sire. Sire, Sire, right? Yeah. The, the Talking Heads lab, label and uh, and and Brian with uh, E.G. and all that, and all those connections were. I think they were a, a bit too, too eager to accept my uh, rejection of that. Instead of if I had been a Ravi Shankar or a Ry Cooter at that time, the logical thing to happen would have been to uh, ha- ha- say come on out at, well oh, I'm s- sorry you didn't like that why don't you we'll fly you out for a couple of days and we'll do some we'll do a couple of days in the studio and see what happens you know work work it out but I actually never heard anything from them after that so they took that as being um, you know I think I think the business interest took over and the uh, and the, uh, the those the business circle said, "Oh, forget this guy doesn't have any power. He's not going to come after you legally. You know, he's just, he's on on unemployment, right? He doesn't have the power to like to challenge challenge anything. So just go ahead and and do it, right? So and I was a bit, I was a bit, um, uh, not only a bit. I it to me it was like toxic. The situation was toxic because uh, I had it was like seeing my child my you know my uh, dna being taken up and um, put into another frame and my not being there so i had i had i actually wrote recently wrote to both of them uh, and trying to analyze the entire situation 
both from my my feelings as being not aggressive enough in a, in a way not uh, demanding enough and uh, sticking my head in the sand you know to have fun together we continued to go out for dinners and you know had the same circle of friends and 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 all that kind of thing and brian went on to produce two more records right with eg and um so i was trying to analyze all this from so at the time mm -hmm. you felt that your dna i.e your concept your uh, vision of music mm -hmm. you felt that that had been slightly kidnapped taken mm. over by co-opted yes. those guys but more the business around them or mm. them, them as individuals oh well i think they were under they were as i said you know if you look at david's age right he had a 28 year old guy who was like you know riding the crest mm. but smart enough and you know art schoolish enough to like be um to be looking elsewhere than where the talking heads were at that point then it was a kind of um it was a uh, you know a kind of natural choice or an understandable choice to like want to go someplace else right and the fact is you know they did that that record and then there was nothing to follow it up it wasn't as though that was their that suddenly became their career it was it was something that was done and then they realized that they couldn't continue to do that it wasn't it wouldn't make sense right so so it's a it's a kind of a as i said i'm not i'm you know old enough now to uh to have uh, to to want to uh, clear the air on it and um, and to let the story be known and there shouldn't be any there shouldn't be any resistance on their part to to this because it's it's, it's just what happened mm. and I think that they probably in their best selves would say that they would probably agree that they were under the control under control of like a, a young young testosterone and uh and were eager for whatever you know the best fruits they could pick off the tree right <laughs> and uh and i got left out of that and uh, i'm you know i haven't exactly been wealthy the rest of my life it's been been uh, fairly hard uh, even though even with with uh, brian's help and doing the and uh, doing the next two records as a producer. And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself,
So anyway, I'm here at the at this point, yeah, trying, and trying to clear the air. Good, it's good to hear it. Um, I mean, this record, the Talking Heads album, mm-hmm. Once in a Lifetime, which you were involved with mm-hmm. quite heavily with the arrangements, mm-hmm. was that pre? When, where where would that have? That was it was kind of simultaneous. I think I did the I did the overdub um, after. I don't remember. It was all sort of all clustered together, even yeah. though you know I have the I have the day by day agenda and some in my notes here. But yeah, yeah. but um, it it was it was all happening uh, uh, both the work on possible musics and um, what became possible musics and um, and and the Talking Heads uh, and the and the plan, the idea that was forming in the in the head about doing this record together, right? So. I mean, I still have a tape of uh, of, of my uh, playing. There was something they had given me uh, from um, Samira Tofik, the, uh, the Lebanese pop singer. That I think is it wound. I finally realized it wound up on track nine. I think because <laughs> I, I hadn't, I, you know, I haven't listened to it. I haven't listened to my life in the bush of ghosts. You know, I just if I hear it in a restaurant or. Around, you know, and I, I, something like that. I just didn't want. I just didn't want to want to hear it. You know. and that early yeah. meeting for you I uh-huh. mean how did that come about and coming to Germany uh-huh. how old were you then yeah uh, gee, I was uh, probably late 30s or middle 30s uh, and I'd gotten a grant from the German government to go and study electronic music I'd been teach. I, I taught after I left you know I got a master's degree from Eastman School, you know, conservatory, Eastman School, University of Rochester. And then I went to, um, and so I got those two years in, in Germany with Stockhausen. And uh, I was married. Um, my wife was a pianist, Margaret Krimsky. And uh, and she... Uh, you met her there? Uh, no, no. She, we had met before in school, actually, yeah. I, I, I was, you know, how about... 
married the first girl had sex with there how about that for a revolution <laughs> i mean i mean a revo- revelation revelation <laughs> i mean that sounds today that i'm at, that sounds like totally you know what this this guy they forget about anything he says after this because if there's a guy that's so retarded that that, he, that this is what he, happened but but it it was and uh you still together no 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 No, unfortunately, no happy ending right. for right. that one. Right. Well, but no, it was that was no. After that was like a for when I continue on the the erotic <laughs> erotic trail. That was when I met um, uh, uh, this uh, uh, beautiful uh, uh, African American, Native American mixture girl. Which you know, that was like divorce time, right? I mean, I I just it was all so powerful. And at that time, I was listening to Miles and and on the corner, and and I started playing with a wah wah pedal and. And uh, and everything was just kind of. Uh, I thought, okay, that that's where the idea of like, okay, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a conserv in a conservatory as a teacher. I don't want to be a university guy, you know, uh, in a tw- tweed jacket walking around the campus with my pipe. And I thought, okay, this is this has got. I see where Miles Miles. I was looking at looking at the kind of like vitality, you know, the the that was coming out of the the black world, you know. And and what kind of uh, how that played, how that role of like north and south and you know below the belt, above the belt, uh, and the idea of fourth world maps onto that too. That was such a, a revelation, a revelation to realize that that there was something like black classical music, which is what Miles used to call it. He um, tried to redefine that idea instead of it you know the being separation of like here's jazz over here here's classical music over here you know as long as you were like doing music that all took place with like even eighth notes you know that was classical but anything that had like a curve in it or anything that was that was below the waist and sexy and like was on the other side of the tracks right so to speak and at least you know from my naive Boy, born in Memphis, Tennessee, you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, mentality at that at that time. So that was a big revelation, and that was kind of mirrored in the in the marriage and the breakup of the marriage, and and my sort of like wanting to go this other place. I wanted to go this other, you know. It was like, you know, we were going dancing all the time, and dan- dance became a big thing, right? I started dancing a lot with her, getting the the body thing loosened up. And that's you know that's essential to the musical. You can't really. I I, I just recently as a funny thing I said I'll you know let, I, I always thought about challenging Philip Glass or Steve Reich to a dance off. <laughs> 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 see, see if they could actually actually move. You know.
Back to your mm. um, timeline of the time and mm. your second wife, mm-hmm. um, fourth world. Mm. No, we didn't get married. We just lived together. Okay. Know? Yeah. Um, did you... That was Malibu time, by the way. Was it? New York versus Malibu. I went and moved to California after that. So the whole sensuality explosion was, uh, uh, you know, geographic also. On a creative musical discovery Mm -hmm. for you, to push it Mm -hmm. like you did, to be this pioneer, did you travel around the world and go and find this music or you... Yeah. The Terry Riley in C and uh, and the meeting of with Lamont and Lamont Young and uh, that period. Well, they were uh, Lamont brought uh, Pandit Pranath, the great Indian vocalist, uh, over from India, and and I studied. I that's when the real change happened for me. Like I I stopped uh, playing uh, I, I, and started singing. I was sing, you know trying to follow his. Cur- the curves, right? I mean, that was like such a, a an amazing. I'm going. I went to India with Pr- with Pranath and with Terry Riley and Lamont and and with my uh, new girlfriend with the with the African American Native American girl, the the fourth world uh, girl, and um, and I remember seeing taxi drivers or, or, who were like stopping work to listen to Bismillah Khan, you know, like their their ability to like perceive curves in the air right terry riley had what's called or his record had something about curves in here didn't he and um to and which is a, a kind of listening a way of listening that i think is completely has is getting lost and require i mean it requires some kind of imagination uh, that goes beyond itunes you know and three minutes and um and all that sort of stuff it's in other words i, I i'm yeah, I'm getting into, I'm jumping ahead too far because it relates to this book that I've been working on called "The North and South of You." And and um, tell us about that. Actually, sorry, yeah. can we can okay, we jump? Sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's jump. I realized uh, uh, in New York that it was good to have a logo. That's where I came up with the fourth idea, of fourth world, and and because that that was a catnip to journalists. To be able to say, oh, it's fourth world, and then to be able to say immediately, immediately, well, it's like you know, third world uh, tradition and uh, and and fourth and th- first world technology. So three plus one equals four, right? So um, that has kind of morphed into over the years, uh, and I mean, you know, I could keep pounding away at that forever, but but um, it evolved into this idea of north and south, which. Um, which came from um, where did that start? Um, well, I mean, there's a Cole Porter song, "East, West, North, and the South of You," right? So that idea of like the the um, I started thinking more, reading more. I'd like every 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 idea I would get that was like succinct enough to put on a three by five index card. I would do, and so I have this giant collection of, of index cards, and uh, and started to get very. Uh, I do a lot of a lot of reading about um, about people who had good ideas about about the world and 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 um, what makes it tick. So I started looking at this picture of uh, the the global situation, the north south situation there, where you know you have a, 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 the north calling the south uh, underdeveloped. Even though it's the Zamba, <laughs> the Zamba is there. It's not exactly underdeveloped in, the, in that sense, right? So it, it's 
It's uh, it's the the kind of prejudice that come prejudice that comes along with the, the North view of the South is something that maps onto our own bodies. So that the at the waistline is the equator, and above that you have the command central, which is the brain, and intellect and abstraction and all that kind of thing. And below the waist you have the oft neglected. Right by intellectuals and and white people in general, let's say, the oft neglected south of the body, and uh, and so this there's a there's a mapping of the, the kind of dis, dis not, not yeah disrespected eventually, but I mean it just comes mostly from ignorance. You know they've never done that. They didn't have that. Or they being white people, other white people like. Didn't have this experience uh, that I that I had, uh, you know, gradually with the the changeover of uh, my you know my uh, my life that from New York to Malibu and um, and uh, and all that. So I, I it's really been about how does a how does a uh, stiff can't dance white boy from Memphis, Tennessee gradually melt himself into the rest of the world which in which the sensual the, the south is more of the south uh, going going on and um, and so I started thinking about a, ba- a balance you know the brain takes over we're we're lost in language you know we're, we're lost in, and language is not reality language is a code a coded description of reality and but we take it for reality and and we're able to talk ourselves out of the fact that we might be sitting in a chair that's uncomfortable or our shoes are too tight because the western brain uh, does that kind of thing so it's a forgetting of our, the fact that we're animals okay that's another place it go, it it goes
Can we quickly go to Earthquake Island, the record? Do sure. you mind? And sure. just sort of putting me in the place, because this was your second record officially, right? As uh, a, that's right. Uh-huh. As an artist. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've just been listening to it, and I think it's totally survived the time, and it sounds amazing, actually. Sure, after that two-hour introduction? Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the, the mm-hmm. moment around that record. Yeah. Put us into that picture. Well, let's see. I'd done this. Uh, the first record was a, a Vernal Equinox, which was quite a, a, an art, sort of like art based thing. friend of mine, David Rosenboom, became the head of this electronic music studio in, in uh, York University in Canada, in, in Toronto, I think. Uh, and uh, so that was done sort of piece by piece. Uh, and then later when I came to New York, I knew Don Cherry because of a connection. He lived in the same building as, uh, as one of the talking heads in Brooklyn. And Don turned me on. He said, hey, this is like amazing... Uh, percussionist in town now so then and we, this was in Soho back before Soho was so glittery <laughs> and uh, and uh, and then so he, he's you know and so that was Nana and so I had Nana do come in and do some overdubs on that material that I had done in at York University <laughs> Managers of uh, of John Cage and this this uh, company called Art Services. I, I was actually living in the same building as they were, and also Gil Evans was living in that building, West Beth down on the on the river for this building for artists. Uh, 
Did you meet Gil Evans? Did you know? Him? Oh yeah, yeah, we did. I did. I know. I, I just adore Gil Evans. I mean, that that's you know, you touched on a gusher for me there. That's that I, I you know, I just thr- thrilled to. What should we play? His arranger. What should I listen to right now? Um, uh, let's see, to Gil. Um, Gosh, everything you know, the, all the porgy stuff, any any of the porgy, any of the any of that. Um, as an arranger, yeah, yeah, as an arranger, which goes way way beyond the word arranger, like like him and um, uh, also um, Johnny Mandel, Johnny Mandel, that the arrangements that he does for like Shirley Horn, that kind of thing are that their compositions you know they're just and if you you know listen to the introductions and the and the outros and all that other stuff they're they're little compositions and the songs are just there there you know i mean i'm always listening to those
definitely influenced influenced by the, by those. I'm I'm into lush, you know. Lush is a big word for me. I'm into Satan, and that's like the South, right? Lush is South. Um, even eighth notes is North. And then I got some money from the Dia Art Foundation uh, head, Felipe de Manil, of the de Manil family in Texas. And that's what allowed me to, uh, to, to uh, use the Electric Lady studio and to hire, uh, and to hire Miroslav Vitus and, and uh, Baral and all, all these people. Uh, so that, it was a, a big... Uh, a big step up and I think I I mean I, I when I write about it myself I, I you know I have a website in which I do write very candidly about uh, mistakes and things like that I thought well maybe this is too this maybe I'd been trying too much to like uh, be weather report <clears throat> and got a little bit away from my um, something that was more unique you know sure and uh, and Miroslav was drove that in a way because you know he's such a powerful player you know and I, I and I, I felt in retrospect I felt like it was uh, I let that go you know there was too much power there and led he led things in a certain direction that I didn't uh, that in you know in later I thought maybe wouldn't have been as good but listen I'm far enough away from things now I mean and all the things I've done like 20 years ago and all that too to actually be able to to see and to sample it, you know, damn, I would like you know sample something and and uh, and build something on top of that because I have a very advanced idea of sampling of like what it, you know that that it's a it's a one of the great tools and and not just simply the rip off eight bars of you know that Jay Z might use of of you know James Brown or something right it's not that. Not that at all. It's more about the way of, of molding things and putting things together. Thank you. 
Is there one record that you've you go back to in mm. your grand mm-hmm. um, archive mm-hmm. that you go actually this was almost the perfect record for me is there mm-hmm. have you what's your closest moment to <clears throat> still feeling good about it at most times um uh, well I I don't know how far deep, this doesn't go very far back but there's a uh, Marifa Street was a, a, a record that was pretty much done uh with the, this this group in LA, uh, the, the cluster of people that I work with in in LA, and there, I loved the, um, the 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 actual the track called Marifa Street. There's a kind of dub thing going on, and also this uh, some kind of exotic, interesting thing going that 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 um that I I like very much. Actually, I think it's a combination of things that um, that doesn't exist uh, you know in in many places or, or i i don't know where else it exists so i like that Are you working on some new music at the moment? Oh yeah, Where? definitely. I brought something. I brought something for you. Yeah, I brought some. I brought three tracks that were that are hot off the presses that are haven't been even published yet. Ooh. 
the first piece that uh, you, you dreaming uh, dreaming that's yeah. it uh, that's built over I don't know whether I should talk about this but it's built on there the the, the whole uh, the whole rhythmic like long 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 that that is a slowed very 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 slowed down burst of Johnny Mandel arrangement I mean it's probably one less than one second that's getting into you know when just you can't just simply use the idea of I mean that sampling has gotten such a uh, such a bad rap because I mean in it's all built about the commercial world and about someone taking a, a large hunk of something a large thunk, hunk of something which is proprietary and which definitely should be called should be paid for right how did you feel about the Pharrell situation I thought it was correct I thought the outcome was correct yeah I thought there was enough of it there to to be paid for and the whole new mm-hmm. change in Cuba. Have you mm-hmm. been to Cuba? I haven't. And uh, rumba and, and the roots of the music, How? where does that fit for Fantastic. You? Mm. Absolutely fantastic. Mm. Nothing like Latin. Nothing like Latin for, for dancing and for moving and for feeling. I've thought many, 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 many times, how could I possibly embrace that yeah. in a way that I could put it through my own thing in a way and not just be, you know, try to be a copycat or if I could, you know, find some way. I have thought many times about trying to, you know, a band, you know, the God, the riffs, you know, the the the, the horn riffs and, the, and the, the, the beat and all that stuff. Oh, I love that. Fantastic. Where are you happy living at the moment? Where is home for you? Uh, I'm in L.A. I'm in Los Angeles. Anywhere yeah. else you could imagine living in? Sure. Yeah? Yeah. Where would you go? Well, it's got palm trees. You can start with that. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, it would be, I mean, actually, Arnaud, Arnaud Mercier, the, the, my, uh, I say my audio technician, <laughs> he's a brilliant, brilliant guy that, ha- that is, I'm lucky enough to have uh, work with me and who does, uh, all, makes everything sound good. <clears throat> and, um, uh, he lives in Nice. Nice is kind of like almost LA. I mean, it, it, it's LA with a you know with a continental flair. I could I could live there in okay. terms of Europe. Yeah. If I had absolutely had my choice, you know, I'd probably be someplace in Brazil or um, or you know the islands, some someplace you know like that. I'm, I'm totally island island guy. You know, earthquake island. You know, the, the, the island uh, yeah, thing is. You're in the UK, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, John Hassel, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Indeed, a pleasure for me too. Thank you.